Haunting of Hill House, Shirley Jackson. Chapter 2. Eleanor Vance was 35 years old when she came to Hill House. The only person in the world she generally hated, now that her mother was dead, was her sister. She delighted her brother-in-law, a five-year-old niece. She had no friends. This is owing largely to the eight years she had spent caring for Evelyn's mother, which had left her with some proficiency as a nurse and inability to face strong sunlight without blinking. She could not remember ever being truly happy in adult life. Her years with her mother had been built up devotedly round small guilts and small reproaches, constant weariness, unending despair without ever wanting to become reserved and shy. She spent so long alone, with no one to love. It was difficult for her to talk, even casually, to another person without self-consciousness and awkward ability to find words. Her name had turned up on Dr. Montague's list, because one day, when she was 12 years old, and her sister was 18, her father had been dead for, quite, for not, well, not quite a month, Shells of stone had fallen on their house without any warnings or any indication, purpose or reason. Driving from the ceiling, rolling loudly, ceilings down, rolling down loudly down the hill walls, banging windows and pattering madly on the roof. The stones continued intermittently for three days, during which time, which time, Eleanor and her sister were less unreserved than stones and by the neighbour and sightseers who gathered daily outside the front door by their mother's blind hysterical insistence that, that all this was due to malicious backbiting people the block that had it in for her since she came. After three days, Eleanor and her sister were moved to the house of a friend. Stones stopped falling, nor did they ever return. Oh, Eleanor and her sister and her mother went back to living in the house. A feud with the entire neighbourhood was never ended. Story had never been forgotten by anyone, except had been forgotten by everyone except the people that the miracles consulted. It had certainly been forgotten by Eleanor and her sister, each of whom is supposed at the time that other was responsible. During the whole underside of her life, ever since the first memory, Eleanor had been waiting for something like horseshit, like hell, like hell house. Came for her mother, lifting a cross old lady from her chair to her bed, sitting out endless little trays of soup, sitting out endless little trays of soup and oatmeal, sealing herself to the filthy laundry. Then Law had lost her fast to the belief that someday something would happen. She accepted an invasion of Hill House by return mail. Her brother in law insisted upon calling a couple of people to make sure that this doctor fellow was not aiming to induce Enlaw to savage rights, not unconnected with matters Enlaw's sister deemed it improper for an unmarried young woman to know. Perhaps Enlaw's sister whispered in privacy of the marital bedroom, the marital bedroom. Perhaps Dr. Minical, that really was his name. After all, perhaps this doctor was used to women for some well experiments. You know, experiments the way they do, and her sisters dwelt richly upon experiments she had heard these doctors did. Enlaw had no such ideas, or, having them, was not afraid Enlaw, his short, would have gone anywhere. 
Furthermore, there was much as such name as she used. Her sketches were signed Theo on an apartment's door, a window of a shop, a telephone listing, a pale stationery, and a bottom of a lonely photograph of her which stirred on a mantle. The name was always only Theodore, Theodore, but I did not at all like for Eleanor, duty and conscious love for Theodore, attributes which belonged properly to girl scouts. Theodore well was one of the light, soft colours. He come on to Dr. Fentacle's list because going, going lovely into the laboratory, 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 bringing with her a rush of floral perfume, she had somehow been able, amused and sighted of her own incredible skill to identify correctly. 18 cards out of 20, 15 cards out of 20, 19 cards out of 20, held up by insistent uh, sight and hearing. Name of Theodore's shone in the records of the laboratory, and so came inevitably to Dr. Mundigal's attention. Theodore been entertained by Dr. Mundigal's first letter, Mundigal's first letter, and answered it a curiosity, perhaps a weak, awakened knowledge. Theodore, which held uh, the names and symbols and the cards, held out of sight, urged her away, away towards her house, and yet fully intended decline in devotion, yet perhaps a stirring urgent sense. Again, when Dr. Wundergaard's confirming letter arrived, Theodore attempted, and somehow plunged blindly, wantonly, to violent quarrel, a friend with whom she shared an apartment. Things were said on both sides, which only time could eradicate. Theodore had deliberately, heartily smashed with that lovely silk little figurine her friend at card of her. A friend had cruelly ripped the shreds of volume of Alfred de Musa. It had been a birthday present from Theodore, taking particular pains with the page before Theodore's loving, teasing inscription. These acts were, of course, unforgettable, forgivable, forgettable, and before they could laugh over them together, time would have to go by. Theodore had written that night, accepting. Dr. Mundigal's invitation to part in all cold silence next day. Luke Sanderson was a liar. He was also a thief, his aunt, who was his uncle of the old house, was fond of pointing out her nephew, the best education, the best clothes, the best taste, the worst companions of anyone she had ever known. She would have lived at any chance to put him safely away a few weeks. Family lawyer was prevailed but to persuade Dr. Mundigal. The house could on no account be rented to him for his purpose without confining presence of a member of the family during his stay. Perhaps of their, for their first meeting, the doctor received in Luke kind of strength for cat-like instinct for self-preservation, which made him almost as anxious as Mr. Sanson to have Luke with him in the house. At any rate, Luke was amused, his grand-aunt cared for gratefully, and Dr. Mendico more than satisfied. Is Anderson? Sanderson told a family lawyer. At any rate, there was really nothing in the house Luke could steal. The old silver was of value, she told her lawyer, but it represented almost insufferable difficulty for Luke. He acquired energy to steal it, transform it into money. Miss Sanderson, Sanderson did Luke an injustice. Luke was not at all 
likely to make an off with a fairy silver, without a word of good watch, or Theodore's bracelet. So one seems largely confined, taking pretty cash from his aunt's petty cash from his aunt's pocketbook, cheating cards. He is so apt to sell the watches and cigarette cases given him, finally with the pretty rushes for his aunt's friends. Some day Luke would inherit Hale House. He had never thought to find himself living in it. Thank <laughs> you.